Thank you, Jesus. You know, there was a time in the Bible where the followers of Jesus, Jesus said something and, and at that point it says that the many disciples turned away and deserted him. We just sang a song that says, I can't walk away. These guys did walk away. And then Jesus turns to them, the 12, and he says, are you also going to leave? And Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. And then I love verse 69, it says this, We believe and we know. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. And Peter just had something within him that said, you know what, it might be a bit difficult. I might not fully understand it. It may not make perfect sense, but where else am I going to go? Before I met you, Jesus, I was a fisherman. I was just doing my thing. But now I know that you are the Son of God. Now I know, I believe, and I know that you are the Holy One. And he had a, a thing in his heart and a thing in his spirit that just said, I've got nowhere else to go. God, you are my only option. You are all that I want. You are all that I need. You alone are holy, and I give my life to following you. My prayer for us this morning, church, is that we could have that same decision within our heart and within our spirit. God, who else would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We go to you, Jesus. So this morning, God, we thank you that you alone have the words for eternal life. God, we believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. And we thank you, God, that we're able to say these things because you loved us first. Even this morning, church, we sung first about how much God loved us. And then in response, we sung about how much we love Him. And that's the order. Because of His love for us, we are able to stand, we're able to sing, we're able to declare that we believe in Him. God, I pray for those this morning that have belief, We pray for that unbelief as well. God, you would help us in that. You would help us to see you more clearly, a greater revelation of your love and who you are and the difference you can make in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, team. You can take a seat. It's very good. How are we all this morning? Mornings like this sort us out, don't they? We find out who loves summer and who loves winter. We find out who's mourning this morning that summer is gone and we're finding out who is celebrating that winter is on the way. And if all of the winter people could sit on this side of the church and all the summer, because we're into dividing people this morning, aren't we, Pip? (laughs) Dividing families. So I picked a rough night to sleep on the couch, didn't I? Being in that competitive side. Hey, before I get into my message this morning, I just wanted to... um, Jonathan Harris, who's here with us next week, he's a great guy and... um, I've asked him to come next week because um, he works for the Bible Society, but his family, um, he actually grew up in Gumbalanya, which is in Arnhem Land, where some of us have been and where we're going again, up in uh, Northern Territory in Arnhem Land, working with the Aboriginal people. And his grandparents started the work of translating the Bible. And he's got some cool um, stories to tell about to see how that work has come to pass. So he's coming next week, not necessarily to preach, but just to tell some of his story, which is an incredible story. So it's a great morning to be here next Sunday at 10 a.m. He's doing a um, a great work with the Bible Society across Australia, and in particular working on getting as many of the Indigenous languages into print in the Bible, but also into audio 
so that they can listen to it. And it's uh, connecting them not only to the Bible, but also connecting them to their heart language or their mother tongue language, which the language that they knew as, as children, but may, maybe not have connected with in their adult life. So that's um, next Sunday. It'd be great to be at that. All right. My message this morning is called P-Mail. And it's a new company I'm starting. And I hope you could get behind it. No, it's not actually called that. P-mail, not as in go to toilet, as in the letter P, okay? I know you've got little boys. I know that's exactly where your brain went to straight away. But you know that research tells us in 2018, the average was 281 billion emails sent every day. And 280 billion of them were spam. No, 50% of them were spam. Do you know, statistically, Tuesday is the best day to send an email? Do you know that? Because more emails are opened on a Tuesday than on any other day of the week. There's a little bit of info for you, any of you that are into marketing right there. Do you know that email has uh, changed incredibly the way we live our life? When it comes to email, though, there's two types of people. There's the yays and there's the woos. (laughs) Can we have the first picture? Are you this type of person? There is no greater feeling in the world than having your inbox completely cleared and saying you have no more emails to read. And then there's another group of person, and you're the next one, and this is you. (laughs) What kind of crazy animal are you? (laughs) Who are you when it comes to the emails? But have you ever thought, what did we do before emails? Who remembers what, what we used to do? We used to write letters. Did anyone grow up having a pen pal? And you would write to them, and you were encouraged to write letters. Yes, some of us don't even know what we're talking about, that you can actually write a letter to someone rather than texting them or emailing them. We wrote letters. And my introduction to this morning as to why I'm talking about is two weeks ago, we looked at a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And the theme of this part of the letter was this theme. It said, not there yet. We talked about Paul having goals, Paul having dreams, Paul having things that he wanted to do, but he goes, I'm not there yet. And that was the whole theme of the letter. But what I didn't tell you about that letter, what I didn't tell you about back then was Paul actually wrote that letter from prison. So the letter was prison mail. This is where P-mail comes from, Josh. That's what I did there. See what I did there? I know it's lame, but that's what I did. It's, or, or you could go, it's from Paul, so it's Paul mail, P-mail, prison mail, whatever you like. But he wrote this letter from prison. And I think sometimes when we read the New Testament, which Paul wrote so much of, we forget the fact that he actually wrote the letters or lots of the New Testament. He wrote them from prison. He wrote them from being in a prison cell. And in the start of his letter, we're going to look at where he actually talks about the fact that he wrote these letters from prison. And that's where we're going to go to this morning. In Philippians 1 verse 12, Paul reminds us that he wrote P-mail, he wrote prison mail, and he says this, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. Now just stop there. There are some powerful words that Paul writes, and I'm incredibly challenged by them. He says, everything that has happened to me here has helped. Everything that has happened to me here is I've been arrested, I've been locked up, and I've been confined to jail. And he's saying all of that has been good. All of that has helped. What a perspective to have. He saw his imprisonment as an opportunity 
to continue in his purpose. He didn't see his imprisonment, he didn't see his containment as something to hold him back, but he actually saw it as an opportunity. I wonder what things in life we see as a containment, but they could actually be an opportunity. I wonder what we see as a setback, as we see as a disappointment. We see as, that's no good, I'm in prison. But they're actually the very opportunity that God wants to give you to do the purpose that he's put on your life. Paul didn't see the prison, he saw the opportunity. He saw the opportunity for good. And all of us will have things in our life that are restraining us or containing us. All of us will have things that we're a bit disappointed by, that they didn't go the way we thought they would, but they could actually be an opportunity rather than a containment. Not all of us, though, can see it. Not all of us are able to see what's going on. Paul was able to see the opportunities within. How was he able to do that? How was Paul able to see that there was an opportunity rather than just a prison? Because Paul wrote these words elsewhere in the Bible. He had this belief within his heart, and Steve King has already read it from the microphone to win for Team Yay. Romans 8.28 We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. That is why Paul could say, you know what? I'm in prison, but there's an opportunity here. Because he knew that God could work everything together for good. Paul knew this because he'd experienced it over and over again. If you read the life of Paul, it's actually something that would mark his life. That there were situations, there were shipwrecks, there were prison, there were snake bites, there was all kinds of stuff coming against him. But time and time again, he saw God working those things together for good. He saw that God made a way where there seemed to be no way. So Paul is able to be in prison in a place that would be a place of containment, a place of, oh no God, what have you done? You've left me here in jail. He could see it as an opportunity to do good. And he was able to see it that way because he had a core belief. He had a belief from deep within that God works all things together for good. Last week, Brian talked about how what we believe affects the way that we live. He said, right believing affects, leads to right living. Paul was able to live through this situation, not just live through it, but go well in it because he had a belief within that said, it's going to work out. He knew that... Go. Who's going to come and rescue him? Go, Penny. Look at that. Yeah, creative was last Wednesday night. You've missed that opportunity. There you go. Do you know, once I was preaching at my dad's church in Nambucca, and um, not a child ran across the stage, but a mouse ran across the stage. You know the church mouse that they always talk about? that ran across the stage while I was preaching. And uh, do you know how hard it is to keep people's concentration when that's happening? It's harder than that. Paul knew that all things, including kids walking across the stage, work together for good. He knew, and what it caused him to do was to constantly be looking for opportunities. See, when you know that all things work together for good, what you do is you change the way you look at things. If you know all things are going to work together for good, you're looking at every situation, every circumstance and going, I wonder where the good's coming. I wonder how this is going to turn around. I wonder how this is going to be worked together for good. It's like watching a show on Netflix or watching a TV show and it's based on a historical event and you know how it works out. 
when you know how it's going to end, you know it doesn't matter if they're in jail, it doesn't matter if they're about to die, it doesn't matter if they're surrounded by 300 enemy with guns pointing at them, you know this person doesn't die, so you're just watching, waiting for the opportunity, going, I wonder how they're going to get out of this, and I wonder when they're going to get out of this, because you already know they're getting out of it. It's like knowing the end of a football score when someone ruins it and you've taped it and you want to go home and watch it and they tell you the score. And if it's your team that's won, it doesn't matter how far behind they are on the scoreboard, you know that at the end they win and so you watch the game differently. You watch it looking and waiting for the good to come, don't you? When you know how it ends, it affects the way that you look at things. And Paul knew how it ended. He knew that God worked all things together for good. So instead of looking at, oh, this is hard, he was looking for where the good was going to come from. And he was waiting for it. Paul tells us the good that starts to happen in prison in verses 12 and 13. So he goes, I know, I want you to know, all things, everything that's happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. And he says this in verse 13, for everyone here including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. So Paul's mission in life was to tell people the good news about Jesus Christ. And that included the people he met in prison. Think about it. It included the ones that were keeping him in prison. It included the ones that put him in prison. Those people were people that he knew he was called to talk to about Jesus Christ. Because I don't think Paul saw them as prison guards or as prison officials or as judges or as fellow prisoners or whatever other label we put on people. Paul just saw them as people. And so if his mission in life was to tell people about Jesus, then he was going to tell people about Jesus no matter what prison he was in, no matter what containment he had been placed in in his life. Now, I want to tell you about something that happened to me this week. On um, Monday, my Uncle Rob rang me. My Uncle Rob, I've got three uncles, and you're not allowed to have favourites, but he's the one that I connect with the best. He's the one that's probably been, I've had the best relationship with out of all my uncles. He's always been super generous and super supportive to me and my family. And earlier this year, Uncle Rob was diagnosed with leukaemia. And at the start of this year, he's been having treatment in hospital. And on Monday, he, he rang me and said, Michael, because that's what he, that's, I'm not lying to him. And he goes, could you drive me to the hospital? I'm going in for my third round of treatment for chemo, and I just would like someone to bring me in. And, um, you know, Rob's lost some weight, lost some hair, but he hasn't lost his humor. Because we get to the hospital car park, and he goes, oh, no, I forgot. What did you forget? I forgot to brush my hair. And he's bald because he doesn't have any hair left. So he's still got Uncle Rob's sense of humor. But it was clear in the car trip in that he was nervous, that he was a bit scared. He, wasn't, he knew what he was going in for because he'd already experienced what it's like to have chemo. And so he's, he's, I take him in and we go into the hospital and I know he's not looking forward to it. I know he's, he's scared of the situation and understandably so. And it's hard to see someone that you look up to and that you love to, to be going through something like this. And I know many of you can relate to this. But as we're walking up to his ward, he shows me a corridor of the Mater Hospital. And he says, every morning I like to go here and stand and watch the sunrise because it faces towards the east over Newcastle and in the distance you can see the ocean. And he goes, I like to come here and stand here in this corridor because there's no air conditioning out here and it's freezing in there. And I also like to just watch the sunrise. Okay, okay that's cool. That's a nice story, Rob. Rob's always telling me stories. Anyways... I take him up to his room, he starts to talk to the doctors, and I've, I've got, got to go, so I leave, and he rings me when I'm driving away, just saying, I'm, like, 
I'm scared, basically. So we, we pray in the car, like, and we just talk to him. I said, look, I'll give you a call this week. And Wednesday, I rang him just to see how he's going, and he tells me a story. And he says, this morning, I was up watching the sunrise, as I do. And I go, yeah, I know the spot you showed me. And, and a nurse stops, young nurse, he said, says hello to him. They start talking. They talk about the beauty of the sunrise. Rob's got a great way of just making conversations go the way he wants them to go. Rob, as he does, this is what, I don't know if you've got an uncle that does this, but he tells you what those rays are called, like he's a walking encyclopedia. He goes, you know what those rays are called? And I don't know what those rays are called. I've never thought what those rays are called. They're sun rays. But he tells you their scientific name. He so said, that's what they're called. They keep talking, and the conversation turns to where those rays come from. Who created them? How did they get there? Is there a God? She says, no, I don't believe in a God. Then the conversation, I don't know how, but it turns to being hurt and having people in your life that have hurt you. And how do you forgive those that have hurt you? And how do you know what real love is? And all kinds of deep stuff for 5 a.m. in a hospital ward with no air conditioning. The nurse starts to begin to cry as she starts to share some of her story with my uncle. He starts to ask questions. They, they have this conversation. And Rob just simply starts to tell her about Jesus and the love that Jesus has for her and how he's been able to forgive people in his life because of Jesus has forgiven him. Rob asks if he can pray for her. She says yes, still with the tears in her eyes. They finish with a prayer. Next thing, this young nurse is giving my uncle a big hug in the corridor, saying thank you. Later on that day, she comes back to his room and he's got a Bible with him. He goes, this is for you and just places it to her. And they keep talking and they keep the conversation going. And I don't know you, but I was impacted by this story because I picture my frail, bald uncle, and you can't picture him because you don't know what he looks like, but I can, who was quite terrified by being back in hospital, who didn't want to be there, didn't want to be having chemo. But he has this amazing opportunity to share love with someone who needed it. And so to me, this is a great example of seeing an opportunity for good in the midst of containment. Do I want Uncle Rob in hospital? No. Does Rob want to be in hospital with leukemia, having chemo pumped into his body? No way. But my Uncle Rob is someone who is always looking for an opportunity to do good, no matter what the situation or the circumstance. And I think that's a quality that's worth emulating and having in our life. I think Paul had that quality. He goes, I may be in prison, but I'm not going to lose the opportunity to do good. I'm not going to lose the opportunity to do what my life's purpose is. And my Uncle Rob is the same. Paul continues this letter. He's explaining the other good things that have come. He says, not just the prison guards know about Jesus, but look what else happens. In verse 14, he says, because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Paul's attitude to his imprisonment was contagious, so contagious that the other followers of Jesus in Rome begin to get a new confidence to tell people about Jesus because they're thinking this. They're thinking if Paul, who is in prison, is in chains, can tell people about Jesus and spread the good news, surely we as free men and women out here can do the same. If he can do it, surely we can do it. And the confidence and the boldness rubs off on them and is contagious. And they think, surely we can do it. And it says they now have a new confidence and a boldness 
to do this. You know, I looked up the word boldness this week because I think too often we think when we say bold, we think loud, don't we? When we say bold, we think loud, but it actually doesn't mean that. This is what boldness means. Boldness means a willingness to take risks and act innovatively, and it means confidence or courage. That's what boldness is. When I'm typing a message on my screen in front of me, if I want to make something stand out on the page, I do one of two things, or there's a few things I do, but one of them is I make the words bold. I make them bold so that they stand out and I don't miss that point because I don't want to miss them. In a page full of notes, I want to see the words that are bold so that I don't miss that point. We make them stand out. And it made me think, what's going to stand out in the world that we live in? What's going to stand out in your school on Tuesday? What's going to stand out in your workplace tomorrow? What's going to stand out on the sporting field next weekend? What's going to stand out in the supermarket checkout? This is what's going to stand out. Love. Risky, innovative, confident, and courageous love. That's what's going to stand out. And it was the love that Jesus had and his life and his death that made his life stand out. It was love that marked his life and it's what made him stand out amongst history. It says in John 15, 13, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And then in 1 John 3, 16, it says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So Jesus showed us what it was to have this bold love, this risky love. He showed us risky, innovative, confident and courageous love. And he says to his followers, he says to you and he says to me these words. He says, I give you a new commandment in John 13. I give you a new commandment. Love each other just as much as I have loved you. For when you demonstrate that same love I have for you by loving one another, everyone will know that you're my true followers. So love is what marks or identifies a follower of Jesus. People that possess that love that Jesus had is what makes them stand out and what makes them be noticed. What makes us become bold in the world is not by what we say necessarily, but it's by how we love. And how we love demonstrates to others that that's, we're followers of Jesus. I think about Uncle Rob in that hospital. What led him to being able to share Jesus with that nurse? I think he showed love for another human being by simply being interested and by listening. And then by having the boldness or to take a risk or two in what he said. He didn't know how she was going to respond, but he just took a simple risk. But it started by just being interested in a conversation, interested in listening, interested in knowing about her life. We can be bold and we can be confident. You know, 1 Peter 3 verse 15 and 16 is one of my favorite scriptures when it comes to us sharing the good news that we have. And it's this, it says, worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and a respectful way. I actually believe that it's possible to be bold and confident while also being gentle and respectful. I think Uncle Rob demonstrated to me in his little story there that he was gentle and respectful. He took time to listen. He took time to have a conversation. He took time to hear what was going on in this girl's world. But then he also had a boldness and a confidence that when the time came, he said, you know what, I want to just tell you something about my life. And he spoke up with a risky, innovative way. And I think that is a great model for you and I, to be bold, to be confident, but also to be gentle and respectful. The Christians in Rome were getting confident and bold as they began to share 
the gospel. And Paul was rejoicing in his prison cell. It says that he was rejoicing in his prison cell because the good news was being preached. He was rejoicing in his prison cell, even though reports were coming back that people were taking advantage of him while he was in prison. While Paul's in prison suffering for what he's done, people are beginning to preach out of a jealousy and a rivalry. They're thinking, oh, that Paul's in prison. He can't preach there. I'm going to start preaching and I'm going to build up a name for myself. I'm going to build up my Instagram followers. I'm going to build up my platform. I'm going to build up the people that are following me. And they were preaching out of a motive to build up themselves rather than a motive to spread the love of God. And they were taking advantage of him. But guess what Paul refused to do? Paul refused to compete with them. He knew that by, he could make it a competition, but he chose not to make it a competition. He chose not to react to what they were doing because he knew that if he did, it would turn into a competition, the competition that he never wanted to enter into. He knew that they were not his opposition. So he simply refused to compete with them. Instead of competing with them, you know what he did? He celebrated them. He celebrated them. He chose risky, innovative, confident, and courageous love to them, even though they were taking advantage of him and trying to rub his name in the dirt. He chose to love those that were not doing the same to him. And this is what he writes. One verses, Philippians 1, 18 and 19. That doesn't matter whether their motives are false or genuine. The message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice for I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Paul knew his deliverance would not come from competing and squabbling over things that didn't really matter. He knew that those things can only distract us from what really matters. And I reckon the number one way that we go off track in life, the number one way we walk away from our purpose and the thing God's called us to is by getting distracted and caught up in squabbles and conflicts that don't really matter. Yes, we could be in the right to stand up for our name or for what was done, but if they don't really matter to the big picture, then Paul says, you know what? I celebrate them. I celebrate them. I leave them to God. I'm just going to celebrate the fact that the good news is being preached and that even though I'm in prison, Even though I'm contained and even though I'm not comfortable, good things are still happening and I'm going to choose to celebrate them rather than getting caught up in little squabbles that don't really matter. And he chooses to focus on the big picture and he chooses to choose, chooses to know that God will work all things together for good. He knew that God was in control of his life and it did not matter if he was in prison. It did not matter if people were taking advantage of him. None of that stuff mattered to Paul. Because he knew that God was in control and he had a trust and an ability to rejoice in that prison. He was able to write letter after letter after letter from prison, encouraging the church to do what God had called them to do. To look past the opposition, to look past the conflict, to look past the containment and go, there is a great opportunity ahead of you. I wonder if we're able to have that same joy no matter what our situation have that same confidence no matter what's going on in our world. Have that same ability to believe that God is going to do a good thing no matter what we see in front of us. Paul had it, but he also knew that even Paul, even Paul who wrote so much of the New Testament and we make a hero out of him, we go, yeah, go Paul. Even Paul knew this though. He knew in verse 19, he says, I know that as you pray for me. So he knew how important it was to have people praying for him. And he knew that he wasn't doing this in his own strength. It wasn't his own ability, but he knew that the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me. And this leads 
to my deliverance. So what led to his deliverance? Having people alongside of him praying for him and with him. What led to his deliverance? The Spirit of God doing a work within him where it wasn't his strength, but it was God's Spirit and God's strength helping him come through what he was going through. This morning as we close, I want the creative team to come because I want to pray. I want to give you an opportunity to be prayed for. I don't know what's going on in your world. I don't know what your situation is or what your story is. But if there's any of you here where you've got something that you feel contained in, something that you feel like this isn't the way I thought it was going to work out. This isn't what I hoped for. This is what, what I dreamed of. This, isn't, this wasn't part of the plan, God. I don't think going to prison was part of Paul's plan. I don't think going to hospital was part of my uncle's plan. But it's choosing that in those moments, in those moments, we choose to see the opportunity in the middle of the containment. We choose to call upon each other and say, hey guys, I need help in this. I can't do this on my own. I need your prayer support. And I need the Spirit of God within me to do a work that only He can. Like Paul, in this place, we know that prayer works. We know that when we pray for one another, we're not just speaking words into the air, but we're calling on a God who hears our prayer and wants to help us. We know that we need the Spirit of God to help us in our life. Whatever our situation, whatever our circumstance, we are going to pray that we would see God work all things together for good in our lives this morning. We're going to pray that we would see the opportunities within our circumstances. That we won't be asked to be removed from the circumstances, but we'll be asked to be shown God's opportunity and God's purpose within them. And that as we begin to see that, that's how we will get out of that situation and that circumstance. We're going to call upon the name of God and ask us for His help to help His Spirit to come and help us in our time of need. What I want us to do this morning, church, is to stand. All of us to stand. We're going to sing. You can pick the song. I won't sing. Sing on the inside. What we're going to do this morning, though, to finish is as the team play and as the team sing, I want us to join in in song together. But I also want to open up the front. If there's anyone here this morning, and like Paul, you're saying, you know what? I need some prayer help. I need some prayer support. I need some people to stand beside me and to pray for me. And what you're doing by acknowledging that you need prayer is you're acknowledging that you need the Spirit of God within you to help you in your situation. Paul was in a difficult situation. And yes, he could see that God was working, but he could also see that he needed help, that he couldn't do it on his own, but he needed people praying for him and he needed the Spirit of God to begin to work in his life and continue to work in his life. So as we sing this morning, I'm going to ask you to come and stand. And you're just acknowledging, saying, hey, there's an area of my life that I need God's help in. There's an area of my life that I need God to intervene, to show me his purpose, to give me his strength, and to help me to see the purpose and help me to see the opportunity in the midst of what's going on. Maybe you're here this morning and you want to know, you want to know who Jesus is. You want to know this love that we've sung about this morning. 
this love that Jesus has for every one of us, and it's his heart and his desire that all would know his love, then I want to invite you to come as well while we sing. I'd love to meet you. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to just pray with you and help you begin this journey of discovering who Jesus is and the difference he can make in your life. So we're going to sing. And while we sing, I want to open up the front and I want you to begin to come and just standing there and acknowledging and saying, yes, Jesus, I need your help, your spirit to work within me. Let's sing this together. And if you're coming, come now. And we'll begin to pray with you and stand with you in your situation and your circumstance.